الله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له ونشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد ان سيدنا محمد عبده ورسوله اعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وذكر فان ذكرى تنفع المؤمنين صدق الله العظيم اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على سيدنا وسيدنا وشفيعنا محمد كما صليت وسلمت وباركت على ابراهيم وعلى ال ابراهيم انك حميد مجيد We live in great times of fitna And this is the opening <coughs> sentence I've been using a lot on you people. And I try to explain to you in different ways and give you different reasons to understand why this is a time of fitna. So one reason, and this happens to me every time I land in this country, I get some new <laughs> inspirations and reflections. One reason we are in fitna is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala out of his rahmah, his mercy, and his love, and his hidayah for us, he gave us certain guidance, certain ways to protect ourselves from sin, or certain ways out of sin, in case we fell into it. And one aspect of fitna is that those options aren't even there for a person anymore. He doesn't even have those ways. So, for example, if we tell a person, I'm not talking about this very small, 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 minor subset of people who actually would come to a talk like this, I'm talking about the majority of Muslims who live in this country. If we tell them that, look, you, you know, should not let yourself be attracted to their mehram, and Allah Ta'ala has given you many guidelines on how to protect yourself from that. So he says, okay, what? Well, number one, you should lower your gaze. He says, I can't lower my gaze because I work with them. They're my colleagues. It's not possible. Okay? That's a fitna. You are actually in a situation where Allah Ta'ala has guided you to a way to protect you from that sin. And you're saying you can't protect yourself in that way. That's a fitna. It's okay, well, you should not be alone with them. But it happens. I'm a doctor, she's a nurse, we're alone all the time. So you have to make it sure that you're never alone with them. So it's not possible. As I own a shop and sometimes it's only one female customer she walks in and she's talking to me. Okay, I say third thing, you should try not to talk to them. Oh, but this is what I do, this is all day I'm talking to them. So Allah SWT made certain ways to protect us. And if you can't use those ways, you are in a state of fitness. You are in a state of fitness. Okay, then there's certain ways out of sin. So a person says, okay, I fell into sin because of technology or because of internet or because of cell phone. So okay, <coughs> disconnect the internet and throw away your cell phone. I can't do that. I said, why? Well, because I have to talk to my family or I need it for work. I use it for my research. I'm using it to write my paper. So Allah Ta'ala made a way out of the sin that you just, okay, if you're too weak, you can't handle that. Just accept and acknowledge your weakness and put it away. So no, I accept and acknowledge my weakness, but I can't put it away. You see, any other system in the world, any system of oversight, 
licensing somebody is weak and they cannot control their addiction to alcohol. So they get caught driving drunk. What happens? They take the license away? And the person says, no, I need to drive for work. So no, it doesn't matter. We have to save you from yourself and we have to save others from you. Both things are there. We have to save you from yourself and we have to save others from you. We take away your license. That's it. We don't care what you say. You need to drive to work. It doesn't matter. They don't look at that. That's like a very Sharia understanding. That's a Sharia way of doing things. That's a very shabby thing to do. We won't look at anything else. We have to save you from yourself and we have to save others from you. Because you have to acknowledge that you have this weakness. Can you imagine a person saying, no, I know I'm weak and I'm addicted to driving and drinking, but I have to drive anyway. So, so be it. That would be a big fitna. You'd have fitna on the highways if people are driving like that. <coughs> so this is one definition of fitna. That certain things Allah Ta'ala taught us, how to protect ourselves from sin, we know them, we want to do them, but we can't do it. For whatever reason. Fitna. Certain ways Allah Subhanahu Wa gave us out of sin. And we can't do it. We can't take the way out our rub gave us. You will be in fitna. Now some people, they say, okay, tell us what to do. <coughs> okay, then what I have to tell you to do is how to manage fitna. There's no other solution. There's no solution other than the solution Allah SWT gave. If you can't take it, you better be real and realize you're going to end up with fitna. So the only discussion to have is how can you manage fitna. Fitna can be managed. Fitna could be minimized. But fitna is fitna. Allah <laughs> Akbar. You'll never be clean. You can never become pure. You can't become muttaqi. You can't become salih. So you have to give up some of those goals. Definitely, because that's another delusion. That I'm in a state of fitna. I can't leave certain things because of whatever reason. I'm stuck in certain things because of whatever reason. But I also want to be big murid or big talib or big muslim. No, that's not possible. That's another delusion. You know, sometimes one person wrote me this recently. It was actually somebody, it wasn't one of you, but it was somebody from this country. Very recently, like I, I read it on my way here, on the bus. Alright? And they were writing, no, it wasn't one of you, it was from South Africa. So they wrote, that Sheikh, I don't know if I can live up to the demands of the past. Lord, my... Was that sweet nostalgic Sufism? That the past was this glorious super amazing thing. And this fine fellow actually thought he was super amazing uh, and wants to be super amazing and realizes that he can't be that super amazing. Hmm? This is what I call the fantasy of being the superhero Sonic or being the superhero Sheikh. Hmm? Yeah. <laughs> so sometimes you have to be a bit humble. I know you're a bit ordinary and there's no demands of the past beyond what the demands of Deen of Islam are. And there's no question of ever opting out of his phone. Yes, you can say that, but I'm struggling, I'm failing, I can't, you know, do everything that I want to do. But you can't opt out of that. And in fact, it's been my experience that a lot of people, 
benefit from the quote-unquote past just because they need to be kept in shape. And I've seen a lot of people in the past couple of years who thought they could go it alone. They tried. I would have loved if they succeeded because it would have just made my life much easier. Yes? <laughs> right? But 99% of them were not able to succeed. Uh, and of them, maybe 80% have over time realized. Uh, my problem personally was that I took the time to then start doing some other things. And now they want me to open up shop again. Allah <laughs> Akbar. So we live in a time of fitna. Then another fitna that we have is that people are so, not you people necessarily, but a lot of Muslims in the UK and America have an ajeeb fitna in their iman. There's also something that's new. That alhamdulillah, they're not atheists, so they believe in Allah SWT. They believe in the Biyakareem Sallallahu Alaihi 100%. But their belief, the way they believe in Allah Ta'ala is very different. They believe in Allah SWT, but they don't pray Fajr. They believe 100% Allah SWT exists, but they disobey Him. They believe in Allah SWT. They believe the Quran is Kalamullah, but they don't read Quran. They believe Allah SWT answers du'as, but they don't make du'a. They believe that Sayyidina Rasulullah is a Nabi, and a Rasul, and he left the Sunnah, but they don't follow the Sunnah. Allah Akbar on the one hand, it's a hanima, it's a, it's a great blessing, at least they have this belief. But it's a strange thing, that they have that iman, they're not atheists, they don't deny the Prophet or the Prophet <coughs> in any way, but they can't do amal, they can't let it enter their life. They believe in Allah SWT, but sometimes they say things about Allah SWT that are not correct. They say, you know, I know Allah Ta'ala understands my situation. I know Allah Ta'ala will forgive me. Allah Akbar this is a big, big uh, statement to make. I know deep down that my Allah knows. Normally, if a person talks like that, when they say, I know deep down, Allah knows my situation, that makes them scared. <laughs> this person, but they're very sweet, they're not a bad person. Some ajeeb twisting has taken place. So this place is saying the same sentence. Deep down, I know Allah Ta'ala knows. But instead of making them more scared, it makes them less scared. Allah Akbar Kabira. And then it's the same thing, especially on this path of the soul, because the soul is teaching you remember Allah Ta'ala, know Allah Ta'ala more, be aware of Allah Ta'ala at all times. This person, when they are aware of Allah Ta'ala, it makes them more relaxed. See? No doubt we can only make dua to Allah SWT, Allah SWT treat them, Allah SWT actually be exclusively merciful with them and not apply His justice or anger or wrath on them as they think Him to be. But that's not who Allah SWT is. Strange. If you ask them on the Day of Judgment, They'll say, yes, the Prophet Sallam will love me. And no doubt the Prophet is very loving. And we hope that the Prophet Sallam will love every person in the Ummah. But, 
The whole million what would happen when a person would think about the Day of Judgment and think that the Prophet would meet them, that would make them do more Amal on the Sunnah. That would actually motivate them to do more. Not make them relax and actually do less. Jeep fitness. Then I'll give you an example of Umrah. So they go on Umrah because they spent years like this with this almost intimate, informal, <laughs> close relationship with Allah Ta'ala and the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi They actually go there and they come back and they don't change their suits. And then when they go there because they don't feel the shame, they don't make tawbah over there. They don't ask the Prophet to forgive them for breaking his sunnah because they think it's okay. They don't ask Allah Taala to forgive them for their sins because they thought that it's fine, Allah Taala knows my situation. So even they go all the way there and they make these sacred journeys of Hajj and Umrah but they don't make tawbah. On the one hand, again, Alhamdulillah, they're not atheists, they have such positive feelings about the religion, they're proud to be Muslim, they're proud to have Allah Ta'ala as their Rabb, Radhiatu Billahi Rabba, or bin Muhammadin Nabiya Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, or bin Islamic Deen, they have that in their heart. But their understanding of Deen, the understanding of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the understanding of Allah Ta'ala is skewed. Allahu Akbar, Fitna. And now you join these two things together, and then that is the same person who is unable to protect <coughs> themselves from sin, and then is unable to take themselves out of sin. All the while they truly believe that Allah knows their whole situation. Because for somebody like me, if I think that Allah knows my whole situation, I start to shiver. <laughs> I would want to go into a cave and never come out. But for them, Allah Ta'ala knows their whole situation. Thanks to relaxed. Then we turn to more like the people would be here tonight. Those who, mashallah, believe in Allah Ta'ala they want to fear Allah Ta'ala more, they want to love Allah Ta'ala more, they want to follow the Sunnah of the Akrim Sallallahu more. And there was a time in their life when they were actually able to do more. When they look back in the last five, ten years of their life, they can see that there were some times in my life that I actually did go up. Then some of them went flat. And some of them they thought the Sogof was the way to change that and keep going up. And for some of them that happened. And they got that boost or they got that push or they got that inspiration or they got more teaching or they got that sohbah, that environment. And again they started going up. Then what happened was again they went flat. <coughs> and then I got confused. Because I thought that okay, I'm a good person. I want to come closer to Allah Santa Allah. I made changes in my life. Alhamdulillah, I, I, I've had some successes. Maybe I didn't pray Fajr before and I pray Fajr. Maybe I used to do some certain sin on the screen and I left that. 
Maybe I used to get upset and angry, and now, you know, even my wife says I'm a bit of a better person. That's his thought, they were getting better. And they thought that that's it, they would be able to go all the way. This is a very tough path. <laughs> Just because you get a little bit better doesn't mean you can necessarily go all the way. Just because you got a little bit of energy and a little bit of steam and you could make a little bit of progress, doesn't mean that little bit of energy, a little bit of steam is enough to take you all the way. The person sometimes they don't realize they get confused. Then, this person also starts getting an incorrect view about Allah Ta'ala Ta'ala. Look, I don't understand. Why isn't it working? I did what I was supposed to do. I changed. I listened to Biyans. I sat with ulama. I sat with people who I thought were awliyaullah for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So like, it's all supposed to just work from here. And I'm still stuck. I still slipped. But there I did it again. I made. I went back to that sin. And they get confused. Now, here, then, there are different paths a person can take. Sometimes they get upset with themselves. Sometimes they get upset with their teacher. Sometimes they get upset with their deen. Sometimes, now, they get upset with Allah. Because they had this equation in their mind. If I make this much effort, I will make that much progress. And they made this much effort and they only made this much progress. And they feel cheated. They feel short-changed. Like somebody short-shifted them. <coughs> but that was all in your mind. You're slaves. You might make this much effort and make this little progress. You're slaves. There's no set equation. There's no system that will guarantee success. The shaykh tell me how much Quran to recite, how much zikr to do, what ibadah to do. We can tell you that and we've told you many times those things. It doesn't necessarily mean if you just do that, it will be enough to take you all the way. You will start that and you will do that and it will take you as far as it will take you. That's up to Allah Sponsor. It's not under control. You will do whatever you are able to do and Allah Ta'ala will take you however close to Him that you want. Because He is the Master and you are His slave. If you feel that you couldn't go as the sound to them, you weren't brought as close as you wanted, you have to do more. You say, no, I can't do more. So maybe you have to do the same thing for longer. Huh? Maybe you can't do more. Maybe you're going to do it for 10 years. MashaAllah, the Salihin of the past, they used to do these things for 20, 30, 40, 50 years with zero expectation. And we come in with this huge expectation and we try it out for a couple of months. Hmm? <coughs> and that's the problem because that's not a flaw. That's why it's so important to remind ourselves that we're slaves. Anytime you do anything in being with an expectation from Allah Sultana, whether that's ibadah, whether that's studying ilm, whether that's doing dawah, hmm? I could say, I don't, but I could say, 
Ya Allah, I give so many bounds to all these people. And still, hmm, I could complain. If I want to be a complaining person. Hmm? No, that means I had an expectation. That means I think I had an entitlement. You can do a thousand years of dawah, a thousand years of sadda, a thousand years of zikr, no expectations before you do it, and you have no entitlement even if you pull it off. That's called sin. It's a very different relationship. You know, I think that many times, and I've probably done this also, you know, shown that hukukulibaz and hukukulaz and a lot of parallels. And there are parallels and similarities. But I think it's also important to stress that there's also some huge differences. Huge. In a relationship with creation, that's there, yes. There are certain expectations when you begin a relationship. And if you work at the relationship, you're true in the relationship, you're loyal and loving in the relationship, then yes, there are certain entitlements. You can legitimately feel entitled to something in return. It's not like that with Deen. It's not like that with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The reason I'm saying this is not... I'm not saying this to make people sad, but actually to remove some of the sadness that is there. Because when people have these imaginary entitlements and it doesn't happen, they get sad. And that's what a lot of people write. You know, that I've tried, or I was doing it, and ABC things didn't happen, and so now I've given up. I've lost my motivation to do whatever ibadat, atmal, dawat, khidmat, whatever it was that a person was doing in day. But if you open up that statement, why? Why have you lost the motivation? If you're doing it for the fountain, the motivation is still there. But they were doing it with a certain expectation, and they were hoping to get a certain entitlement. And then when that didn't happen, they lost their motivation. Better that you understand it from me today. What you might think what I'm saying to you is harsh, but believe me, if you learn this lesson the hard way, uh, it's much harsher than coming here and sitting in a relaxed way and taking it from me. Hmm? Well... And when you do deen without <coughs> any expectation, without any entitlement, then you will understand what shukr is. Then you will really be grateful to Allah SWT for any and every salah even lets you pray. You will feel Allah Ta'ala gave you wilaya just because He lets you pray Zohar. Why did you think that wilaya is only if He lets you pray Tanjit? Hmm? Allah Ta'ala took somebody like me and even let me stand up and pray Zohar? Allah Ta'ala is making me a super best friend. Is Allah Ta'ala is raising me in darajat. Or did you think you were entitled yourself due to your own amal and your own effort to pray the faraiz and Allah Ta'ala's gift upon you was going to be something else? Everything is a gift from Allah Ta'ala. So you should never write this that, oh Shaykh, I'm struggling, I'm just doing the basic prayers and a little bit of Quran every day. Who did you think you were? You should go down as a sadzah. You pray five times a day and read five minutes of Quran. This is Allah Ta'ala's gift on you. This is Allah Ta'ala's khas, another, his special gaze of mercy came on you on this day. You're complaining because you didn't reach whatever lofty 
Hi, gluten. Don't even we teach you that stuff. That, that doesn't mean you become ungrateful. Hmm? Yes, if you say you fell into something really evil or foul, you didn't pray for three days straight, <laughs> then you can get worried. Hmm? And you know, there are a lot of people out there. They don't pray so much. Hmm? All the people out there who are doing crazy things. Hmm? Even if you fall into sin, you should be grateful that it doesn't make you fall into a bigger sin. If you fall into sin privately, well, it probably could have made you fall into sin publicly. Who protected you? You? You think, no, no, shake it. I, I'm not that bad. I would never do that in real life. I would never do that openly. Of course you could. Allah Allah saved you. You think you were so good that you didn't do it publicly and openly? Oh. <laughs> you, you seem to not understand. It's Allah Allah's special super mercy on you. That he made you just do it secretly or screen or you lied and nobody knew. If Allah Ta'ala hadn't protected you, you would have been a walking, talking liar openly. I mean you could be criminal. It's only the gift of Allah Ta'ala. You do sugar. You do more sugar. Especially because you people live in this country. But they're living in a country where I told you in the beginning where there's this particular type of fitna. The ways Allah Ta'ala wants to protect you from sin, you can't stop them. The ways Allah Ta'ala wants to take you out of sin, you can't stop those either. Hmm? If only Allah Ta'ala's mercy is that we're not completely fallen. Sometimes you don't have to do more about that and more of it. Sometimes you just have to do the basics but with more love and more gratitude. So also do is not just stick to the basics. Now if you just stick to the basics in a basic way, no. But you say, no, I did I just I didn't really have time to do any extra worship today. Therefore I relished every single one of those five prayers that I prayed. I knew today I was going to be busy because I had meetings or I was traveling. So, I didn't even plan to do any recitation of Quran or any long tafsir or dhikr. And because of that, I made sure to enjoy every single rakah of every part of Salah. That's something to write. Hmm? As opposed to, I thought I was going to be so great, and I couldn't do all this extra ibadah, so I feel so depressed about it, and I was so depressed I couldn't even focus in my Salah. It's a delusion. Wanting so badly to fly, you couldn't be grateful that Allah Ta'ala enables you to walk. Hmm? We have friends who will say that we put the car away and we enjoy the bicycle ride. 
Or personal say, put the bike away and I enjoy to just walk in the forest. Okay. It's the same thing in your deen. And actually, really, the purpose of all these extra ibadat and askar really was to be found in your Quran. You have to close the circle. You have to work it back. All these ibadat and askar aren't being done for their own sake. They're being done for the sake of these core ibadat. I was actually just planning to do for you the Urdu Majlis I gave in Lahore. I was just going to come and do that in English. They say London is London and Lahore is Lahore. Uh-huh. Yeah. I was found taking on all different topics. Huh? I think uh, maybe that's what it is in a country like this, in a place like this. And those of you who lead these busy lives, you have to, you know, maybe focus more on the quality of what you do, as opposed to always <coughs> worrying about extra quantity. And those of you who have more time, you're wasting time, right? Definitely, you should fill your extra time with extra worship. But those of you who have extra time and are wasting that time, and your mind knows that you should fill with extra worship, but your laziness prevents you from doing so, so then one thing you can do is, okay, whatever worship you're able to do, make it better. You know who does really good zikr? The person who's trying to remember Allah in their fard salah. <coughs> and so they need to do extra zikr because they need extra help in their main objective. To remember Allah inside their fard salah. And a person who's scatterbrained inside their fard salah and is not even worried about that, they just want to direct their zikr because they want to view themselves as a Sufi. Hmm? <laughs> that extra zikr is not going to take them that far. And they won't be able to do it regularly. They can write me all the emails they want to say, oh, guide me to have this Takama and my extra zikr. Hmm? There's some problem somewhere. But you'll see the seeker of the dunya, right? So who studies more? Just for the sake of studying? No. Because that core basic first thing, their degree or their exam, right? the person who's studying more for that sake, he can keep on studying more. The person who's studying more just for the sake of studying more, you can do that for a few days, maybe a few weeks, and that's it. How much more can you do? We see it even, even in Islamic learning. A person who's properly, formally studying deen, under alim, right? And then alim gives him some reading to do or some work to do. But he'll do it for the sake of his core learning. And somebody says, no, I'll read on my own. Except 1%, 99%, you'll start, no doubt. They'll download the Syria, they'll buy 10 books on Syria, they'll order 20 books on Syria. They'll start. There's no way they can finish those Syria. No way. Illam mashallah. 99% of them will not be able to do it. They'll download Arabic books, they'll buy Arabic books, so I'm going to teach myself chronic Arabic. 
Don't feel them do it. At the same time, as opposed to aspiring for some high lofty status, we should dream, and our dream should be to become the perfect slave of Allah Subhanahu That's the dream of Abdullah. And sometimes in, you have to simplify your life to do that. For some people, it's actually that easy. Well, not that easy, but it's that simple. I mean, that's, that's all they have to do is make their life more simple. Generally speaking, life in Pakistan is more simple than life in England. So this is something that I feel when I travel here. It's just because of simply life being a bit more complicated here. It makes it more difficult to always be the true slave of Allah SWT. So to whatever extent you don't, and you don't need my personal guidance in this because you know your lives better than I do. Maybe if I sat with you for 10 hours, I could maybe understand your life a little bit as well as you do. But I don't have those 10 hours. Hmm? Yeah. So you understand your lives better than I do. And you should just move some steps in the direction of simplifying your life. I'll give you examples. You have to have less irada, less niya, less talab, less goals, desires, plans for this worldly life. The more plans and ambitions and goals you have, I'm talking about halal. Obviously, haram is relevant. Even permissible ones. The more plans and ambitions and goals you have for this life and this world, the less ambitious you will be about being. Everybody's human. Just like they say, there 24 hours in a day. There's only a certain amount of ambitious power you have. There's only a certain amount of energy you have that you're ambitious, you're motivated, you're inspired, you're dynamic. The more of that you give to the dunya, the less you will be able to give to the I'll give you my own example. If I keep my head on straight... I will just finish the PhD at the bare minimum level that the supervisor will be happy and go home to Lahore. If I don't keep my head on straight, I want to write the best dissertation author has ever seen. If I really don't keep my head on straight, I want to win awards. I have to keep my head on straight. Why? Because any, the more ambitious I make that project, and let's say I, I pursue those ambitions, right? So the more effort I put to attain there, the less effort I'll be able to put to attain anything in my being. Because I'm one human being. I have one mind. I have one life. Everything's limited. It's mahdood. It's not easy. I give you an example. My own example is really halal. It's nice. I could even give you religious justifications. That oh, I have to write the most amazing thing because I'm Muslim. It'll be dawah. I'm representing ulama. I can give myself a hundred excuses. Reasons, legitimations why I should do it. In fact, if I gave you all of them, some of you would actually think you should do it. I could convince you right now. <laughs> yeah. 
But I know everything comes with a cost. That's what people look at. It's amazing. The way they understand dunya. It's, it's the way a person is supposed to understand being. This whole concept of opportunity cost, that's what we should have been, we should have come up with that. Because the real opportunity cost is akhirah. <laughs> they use it within dunya. <laughs> Allah Akbar. There's a kind of concept of akhiraness. It's within dunya. That the opportunity cost of one thing in this dunya is something else in the dunya. <laughs> and they're right. And then imagine how much more the correct that is for akhirah. The opportunity cost of anything in the dunya is your akhirah. It's something in the akhirah. Something in the deen. Everybody has a limited range of ambition and a limited range of effort. <coughs> so the unlimited range is called irada in our day, niya. It's unlimited. So I'll give you an example of that. Every one of us has niyat for jantu for those. Our niyat, our irada, our talab, our dua, our aspiration, our dream. I don't think anybody thinks that no, I just want the lowest level of jannah. That can be humility that Allah Ta'ala, I would be honored even if you gave me the last person to enter jannah. That's also a feeling. But deep down, what's our dream? What's our aspiration? Is jannah for those? Pretty big aspiration to have. Hmm? Now look, if somebody in the dunya, if you talk to somebody in dunya, and he tells you, what, I mean, what's the high, what, whatever it is, what's the highest you can get in the dunya, and what anybody's feels, whatever it is, right? Nobel Prize, trillionaire, biggest company, because that's the highest thing in dunya. So if you meet people like that, they're called high achievers. Their whole life is tabe to that goal. Tabe means their whole life is subservient to that goal. Everything in their life is for the sake of that goal of theirs. I want to do whatever it is. World peace. I want to eradicate poverty. I want to find a cure for cancer. Whatever it is. And when they're a high achiever, everything in their life becomes reorganized for the sake of that goal. Me and you were saying genocide for those. It's like the highest achievement that humanity could ever have. Allah says, yes, it's a submission. Whole life should be organized for the sake of this goal. That we don't do. And my whole life is organized for the sake of dunya. But you know, part-time, I can take some time out for dean. I can pledge, you know, certain hours a week or certain hours a month or certain days a month. Some of the ulama, they realize this, so they also they made these systems to catch people, okay, you give me three days a month, and you know, what can we do? Allah Akbar. Hmm? You have to dream as well, while being a slave. This is the, I'm trying to teach you two things. Be a slave, but dream. Otherwise you end up in delusion. You should dream. So here, now I will tell you an example that we gave the people in Pakistan because we came up with the idea in England. Yeah, so it's more <laughs> makes sense that I explain it to you. So that was that I explained to them who was a muhaddith. Who was a muhaddith? Muhaddith means that alim of deen who dedicated their entire life 
to the learning, study, and teaching of hadith. That person is called a muhaddin. Hmm? Not a Sheikh al-Nadis, not ustaz of Bukhari and some part-time evening madrasa. That's an incredible thing itself. But muhaddin is that person whose entire life, day and night, is only for hadith. That's it. So their whole life is reorganized for the sake of this. One khidmat of deen. Day and night. So like somebody could be mufassir. Day and night for Quran al-Kareem. Somebody could be da'i. Day and night, day. Whole life is work for da'wah. Like Hazrat Haji Abdul Wahab Sahib. Da'wah Barakatuh Ali if you ever meet him. He's maybe last of a dying breed. <laughs> yeah. It's actually so fanatic for da'wah you can't really talk to him even. Literally. Once he was talking to some people, once he put his shirt on, and he had just put his sleeves on and his arms were on, somebody came to him, and started talking about Dawah, he forgot his arms were out. And he talked to them for a couple of hours, and he kept, and he's an old man, and his arms were like this. So, in terms of strength, that's not possible. I mean, how long can you hold your arms out like this? I, I'm, relatively, compared to him, I'm a young man. I don't think I could hold my arms out like this for a couple of hours. Oh, but not the Dawah. Allah, is he? He kept talking to them. He just his arms were out like he kept talking, 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 talking. So somebody who's pronounced in hadith that's called muhaddith. So why we got this idea? Because the last time we were in England we got to meet this muhaddith for the first time in my life. As a Shaykh Muhammad Muhammad. Yunus John Puyrimullah So if you had asked me four months ago who is the greatest Mahdith, I would have told you, okay, I don't know about the greatest Mahdith in the world, but definitely within our own ulama Dilband, the greatest Mahdith is Hazrat Sheikh Nishampuri, It's not always that we know that. If you ask me right now who's the greatest Mufassar, I have no idea. I can't give you the answer. If you ask me who's the greatest Mufassar in Pakistan, I can't give you the answer. If you ask me who's the greatest Mufassar in Lahore, I can't give you the answer. That's another story. So, you and me can make that dream. Now you say, Shaykh, how am I going to make that dream? I, I can't. I, I work, I have a job, I'm a doctor, I'm an accountant. I mean, I would be lying if I told you that that's my dream because I can't do anything to make that dream come true. It's 100%. You cannot do anything to make that dream come true. But you can still dream. So sometimes that's a dream with zero expectation. <laughs> zero entitlement. <laughs> you can dream. Just so you know who he is, because see, I had heard about him for about maybe ten years ago. And my only hope of meeting him was, would have been here. And Alhamdulillah, normally I guess my son had been here in Shabbat, but he comes, he used to come, Rehmullah in Shaban, because many of his close students are here, Musa Abdul and others, and he's Khatim in Bukhari. So I met him, how did I meet him? I heard one, one dars of his in Bukhari. I shook his hand for 30 seconds, and I had a sofa for two minutes in the room, that's it. Two minutes. Maybe 90 seconds. That's nothing. But I was so touched by that, and then after that, by meeting his students and the effect he had on his students, and just now when I was in America in the summer, I met one of his very dear young students, Rajiv, you know. 
So I will tell you his story also. He was 17 years old when he finished the Alam course. 17. And he was just sitting and he overheard his two teachers talking. The same thing that I told him. The greatest mantra. Literally. He told me the story himself right now in Chicago. But I was 17 years old. I was just sitting there and I heard two Alams talking. But you know the greatest mantra right now is Sheikh Yunus Jampuri. And he says, I never even heard that name. So I went home, and I told my parents that uh, I want to go to India. Why? Because I want to go meet, uh, study with the greatest mandas alive. Now, in other words, parents, parents said, okay. You could drop the parents much <laughs> His parents said, okay. He went to India. <laughs> this guy, born and raised in America, like me, but it was much more recent, right? 17 years old. Never been to India, shows up. And he goes to Saranpur. Well, Saranpur is in UP, so all your Gujarati connections aren't going to help you too much over there. Yeah. <laughs> I have not been to Saranpur, but Wolf Sandler mastered in Saranpur. And I remember one of the first times I met Wolf Sandler, he told me that Saranpur was very tough to live. But I remember that sitting in Chicago with this kid, he's, not, he's 22 years old now, telling me the story. So he goes to Saranpur. Okay, what does he do? He wants to study with Shay. And he finds out that Shaykh Yunus teaches Bukhari and Muslim. He's teaching Bukhari and Muslim both. So he does Dorothy's again. This is something like Hazrat Shaykh Lavis on Zakaria and Ansari he did it twice. In this day and age, for some kids, I'm sure he to do it all over. He does it again. He does all of Dorothy's again. Alright. That finishes. He stays back for two more years to the Khasas for Lavis, which is like a more postgraduate, specialized, advanced course in Hadith. Okay. He's done with that. He's about to come home. Hazrat Shaykh Yunus tells him, wouldn't it be so good if you spent a few more years with me? He says, okay, he calls up his parents. He says, is telling me to stay back. Can I stay back? And then he told me that they said you have to come home first for one or two months and there was some help they needed. He said, I went there for two months and I went back. And I said, another couple of years. This is how we spent. Hmm? Where like other kids his age are probably like worried about high school, university. He's not the care in the world. And then he came back to America, and he was like, yeah, I was wondering, what am I going to do? You know, he came back to America, and I have no high school degree, even forget university, right? I have six years of history. And alhamdulillah, one darloon, they hired him to be their, uh, one of the senior teachers of the day. Just like that. Hmm? see? So here, we heard a lot of things about, from him, about Sheikh Yunus Jampur and Manatana. He taught Bukhari for 50 years, 5-0, 50 years consecutive. He taught the entire Sahih of Imam Bukhari in Malatana. In year 50, having already taught it 49 times, he used to prepare 6 hours of Matala to teach Bukhari. I've taught, I've taught some of those books as well, but I'll give you my example of university teaching. If I teach a course once or twice, that's it. I don't need to prepare for it again. <laughs> I can teach it the third time with zero preparation. The best professors, Harvard, Oxford, Cambridge, MIT, if they teach a course two, three times, that's it. <laughs> they can walk in without preparation. If you've taught a course 49 times, <laughs> all year for 49 years, and then in year 50 and at that age in your life, to prepare six hours, Allah, that's called Mahadith. You understand? 
but also shows you the shan of the ilm of hadith and the ilm of deen, how deep it is. Hmm? Now why am I telling you people? You should dream to be a muhaddith. Because when you dream to be a muhaddith, obviously we won't be able to do it. I can do it. Alright? But, maybe, when you dream to be a muhaddith, you might sit down and actually memorize the Arbain of Nawi. You might sit down and actually say, okay, at least I will read, or better yet, be taught and understand all of Riyadh al-Sarhi. There's a basic, bare minimum collection of Hadith for the non-scholar to understand with depth, not just to race through in bedtime reading, Allah Akbar, right? The you get the prime time of your life to dunya, and late night, bedtime reading, you read Riyadh al and you just fall asleep. It's better than nothing, but to understand the entire sunnah through this text called Riyadh al-Salihi. That's the closest we could become to becoming a mandir. Hmm? When you dream big, absurd dreams, which you have zero expectation of becoming and zero entitlement to, it might fix us. That type of dreaming is good. And that's the type of dreaming a slave does. That's how slaves are. They dream of pleasing the master. This is the dream. The slave is always daydreaming about pleasing the master. That's called the slave. Hmm? And that's called the ummati. That they dream about following their Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Yes, one way to do that is to learn every single hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Most people don't know they can't do that. So it's okay. At least I will learn Riyadh Salihin. So it can be a good thing to dream to be a Muhammad. Hmm? Second thing is that, okay, I can't be a Muhammad, but what are Muhammadin like? Maybe I can adopt some of their sifat, some of their lifestyle habits, some of their attributes. That's okay. So Muhammad has something called Zohar. I see if Yunus Rimunatali used to sleep on the floor. His whole life he used to sleep on the floor. He used to eat very simple food. That young Malana, he told me that, you know, sometimes people would bring food for him and he would make us eat. And sometimes people would bring food, there would be enough food, but there wouldn't be enough roti. So he would make all of us eat, like the few students who were with him, make all of us eat the roti, and he would just drink the dal straight, like that. So Muhaddith puts others before himself. Muhaddith sleeps on the floor as an example, and Muhaddith lives a bit more simply. You could do some of that stuff. Maybe not all of it, but you could do some of it. Hmm? Another reason that's beneficial to drink. So let me give you another example. Right, let me give you a more practical example. Let's say houses of Quran. Right? So there may be one or two of you here who are Lohala, but most of us we aren't. Right? So, and as you get older, every year it's going to become less likely that you're going to be a houses of Quran. Alright? But you can drink. If you dream, if your deep heart's desire dream is to become hafiz, okay, but you won't be able to do it, then maybe you'll sit down and memorize a couple of surahs. Maybe you'll memorize a few ayat of Quran. Right? When you dream to be a hafiz, you'll start doing something. Hmm? And then another aspect is that you can change yourself. For example, okay, I'll never be a hafiz. If I became a husband, what would I be like? Ask yourself, whether everybody's asked themselves, 
what type of person would I be if I was a Hafiz of Kuna? Become that. Even without becoming Hafiz. So, for example, a person says, you know, if I became a Hafiz of Quran, I'd like to give up that sin for sure. There's no way I would do that sin anymore. Okay, give it up right now. You know, if I became a Hafiz of Quran, I think pretty much that'll get my pleasure in shape. Right? If I became Hafiz of Quran, there's no way I would miss pleasure. Okay, don't miss pleasure now. What do you think you would become? What changes would come in you if you were to achieve that unattainable dream? You might not be able to get that dream become that person now. So let's say you became that huge wali that you think Sufism could make you. What would you become? What would you do? What would be different about you? Hmm? What is it? You lower your gaze, lower it. You stop lying, stop lying. What is it? What's the big transformation that you think would take place in your heart and in your life? Make it happen. And this sense is good to dream. And you dream like a slave with no expectations and no entitlements. That's the best inspiration and the best motivation. That's, that's enough. Hmm? You just have coffee over here. Mubarak, you came from Oldham? Lord, Lord. If I was to follow my... <laughs> I was sent in the beyond. But I didn't do it, though. Once I went... I don't remember it was. It might have been in this country. I love Oldham. I probably did it more than once. So I would tell people in Gaon when I was even getting a bit lazy. But I would say, you know how many hours it took me to come to you? So I'm going to give you a bounce for at least that long. Right? So let's say it was three hours, so then I would get more scared. Right? So that means I should sleep for at least five, six hours. And round trip from Oldham to London back is probably six, seven hours. Actually, you know, sometimes less words can have a bigger benefit. Always that we have to give you one and a half hour beyond. There's a lot of that in my life. Hmm? And sometimes you need to learn that also. You need to hear less words and you need to follow up on your own. I did teach the people in Lahore, because actually I'm coming to people also every day now for the first time after being in India. But it was a very long gathering. Uh, here, if any of you are actually really seriously, intensively doing the curve, then you can meet me afterwards and I will tell you what you should do. Alright? I would just explain it this much, that basically additional zikr is of two benefits. The first original real way additional zikr is of additional benefit is when a person is solid on their faraid and is solid on the established sunnah zikr, 
sunnah prayers, and sunnah fans. But there's a second way, which I also accept and acknowledge, that additional zikr can be of additional benefit, and that is to put in the heart of a person a certain feeling or love for Allah Taala that motivates them and helps them become regular in their prayers and the sunnah of God and sunnah prayers and sunnah fans. That was the actual benefit of zikr kumbi. Specifically the first lesson. Specifically, taking the zikr of Allah's name in your heart. That even in the Qadri Sussan Ashanli Sussan, they call zikr of Ism al-Mufrat, Ism al-Zat, Ism Allah. Now, the Naqshimani Mashayah, their method is to take the zikr of Allah's name silently and making near that it's coming from your kalb. That method of zikr is the second thing that I told you. That it helps you fall more in love with Allah Taala, that it gives you more regularity in your court ibadah. Right? Other mashayikh they make the zikr with their tongue. Zikr of Allah's name with their tongue, thousands of times a day. So, one thing I will tell you is that it's very beneficial if you make zikr of Allah keeping track of count. We've told this to people and almost all of them have found this method has helped them. So, try to reach a thousand times. You will use, you can use the digital counter or whatever you could use in England. That's my best pocket, but you can use the this bead. And every time you move the bead, you will make niyat that your kalb is making zikr of Allah's name. And by moving the bead, it will help you focus and concentrate. Because what did happen to a lot of people, as I realize now, is that they were in the delusion that they were doing zikr kalbi, but they were actually just sitting in ghafla for 20 minutes. Allah Akbar! Huh? Yeah. So, using the tasbih actually helps, because every time you move the deed, you necessarily will make the intention that your kalb is saying Allah. But as long as you sit, well, as long as when you're sitting, you keep moving the deed and keep moving that intention, that time will pass in zikr as opposed to ghafla. Later, when you become more able to focus and concentrate, then you can set aside the tasbih, and simply by making niyyah, you will be able to keep that niyyah, what is called istihzar, you will be able to regularly have the focus that your kalb is making zikr of Allah's name. But otherwise, what happens to a person in the beginning is they sit with that intention, maybe they last one or two minutes, and then their mind would wander. Alright? In that case then also, if your mind wanders, in that situation, it's actually better than to make zikr in the stomach. Because when your mind is wandering, it means your heart isn't making zikr. Because you thought you were an Ashamandi, so you weren't making zikr with your tongue. So you ended up not doing any type of zikr, and you were just sitting there. So, but you people in the UK are a bit new, but because I mean, I'm sitting with it first time, maybe the next time or the time after that I will talk to you about this more. Because what I did in Pakistan is I had multiple sessions with them, and I basically then tried to train them to actually understand how to use zikr as a method to reach a goal. And once you understand that, then you are better able to use it uh, than even I can individually teach you. Because you will understand it's a tool. Right. So we're very flexible now. 
Sometimes some of the words I used to say in the past just would come back to catch up with me. I used to tell people in Pakistan that I'm pure vanilla. I'm pure vanilla, but then Allah Ta'ala made me a vanilla fudge twirl. I was very hardcore, dedicated to a single method, because I personally benefited a lot from that method, but I realize now that many of the students did not have that singularity of focus to be able to benefit from a single method. There's few people who have that, right? Now we're free to be eclectic. And we put the whole toolkit, not the whole toolkit, but we put a few tools in front of the people there, and they're using it, mashallah. Yeah. You know, it's like the martial arts. You just teach the person the punch, and they get bored. You have to teach them two, three types of kicks and two, three types of punches. And then, put some part there. Yeah. <laughs> but the Zikr Kalbi, on the first lesson, is still extremely beneficial. That's the asal actually, of Zikr uh, Khafi. Alright? But what I would rather want is that all of you focus on this first lesson. You may not start with a thousand times, you may start with a hundred times, you may start with a few hundred times, you may start with five hundred times. If you reach a thousand times, you tell me. Right? We'll make you do it more. Another mistake people thought was that they did zikr. You see, this is... I'll give you a perfect example. of Making the mistake that treating zikr as a goal. So what they would do is they would make zikr, make it, keep doing it, and then when they finally felt some focus, immediately they would write the email. That's not... That's the beginning. That's not the end. It's like a person, you know, just learning to read and finally they could join one word. But that's fine, but keep going, and then eventually you have to do Nazar of the whole Quran. <laughs> and then you have to keep doing Tilawat your whole life. <laughs> it doesn't end just because you finally uttered one word properly. But they would get a lot of Akbar. They wanted a degree and diploma of attainment and achievement because they actually were able to do Zikr al Isma Azam once Allah from their God. Hmm? Keep doing it. Do it ten times, do it a thousand times, do it ten thousand times. Beyond that, although maybe I've not been, I've been saying it so many times, you can listen to those recordings if you haven't heard the broadcast. We've explained even here also, I did it for you before I left. Talawat Quran, Istikfar, Salawat, Sunnah Duas, we had a whole workshop, and that was actually, I think I did it in English, in Karachi, so you can listen to that. Uh, that was one of the things, especially, that we thought we learned from Azam from Azam And again, he just gave an ishara. He taught me that workshop the way I taught it to you. But he put in our heart the emphasis of using Sunnah Du'as. So we went through a few of the Du'as from the Quran and the Sunnah. And in fact, if you listen to that workshop, we basically gave you a method that you can use for any of the Sunnah Du'as. How to feel it, how to pray it, how to use that Du'a to come closer to Allah. How to use the Sunnah Du'as really as a type of zikr for you. Alright? Istighfar and salawat, what I've explained to you before, is that you should now try to learn more istighfar, more salawat. You should think which istighfar to use based on what you're feeling it. So an example I gave of that is that if you actually commit a sin, and after that sin you want to make your own istighfar, so a very good istighfar from that, which is from the Quran al-Kareem, is Rabbi inni zalam tu nafsi fa 
But oh my love, indeed, I have just now done zulm on myself. Ya Allah, forgive me. And if there is just, maybe you had a very good day, maybe you're sitting in Umrah, you actually didn't really do any sin, then there's maybe a different istikhar you would use at that time. So you should, and that's the next workshop, so we're doing one on Dawaz, we plan to do one on Istikhar, then we do one on the retreat, then those three workshops will be also part of your training. Right? And you should know different Dawaz, and the different names of Allah Ta'ala, four workshops. So you should know different names of Allah Ta'ala, and you yourself should learn which name moves your heart when. You should learn different du'as and you yourself should learn. So what do I mean by that? So you pick up a book of sunnah du'as and you read the whole thing once and you circle which du'as hit your heart when you read them. All of them will hit your heart at one level but which one really hit your heart? Or which one you felt captured your state? Or which is the du'a you said, oh I wish I had known this before? Or which is the du'a you feel that this is the du'a I need to be making? Which is the du'a that says these are my feelings from the swantam? You pick up any book and circle and start using it. Alright? Islamic Quran is still standard. Uh, but that's a, that's a much lar- larger project. Although I have it on the website already about the fear. So we want to teach you all about the fear again, inshallah. But the old teaching of that is there on the website. So Tilawat with the fear. Istikfar, Salawat, Tawaz. I've explained to you 1,000 times the zikr of Allah. It's sufficient for you. You should try now to pray some of the extra prayers and the extra fast. If you cannot, if you don't have the spiritual strength or motivation or desire to pray Nawafu Salah and have extra fast, you really aren't going to benefit by doing even longer Marakaba or longer Tzibihad, whatever method of the I teach you. Alright? So I'll give you one example of that. Uh, then we will call it a night because whether those who came from far or came from near, they need to go home also. <laughs> ah. When I was in Cape Town in the summer after Ramadan Shabbat when I went out to India, so the Kiptonians are like almost 99% they follow Shafi. And Imam Shafi Ramadan was very, 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 very strongly emphasized praying a particular Nafil Salaam and a Sahih al-Masjid. That when you enter the Masjid, the very first thing you should do is pray Turaqa. Even though he accepted it was Nafil, Mustahab, Sunnah, Haram, Waqadah, but he emphasized it a lot. Now, mashallah, it's one of the very good things about the Kiptonian culture that they really pray the Salah. So one time, fellow, he walked in and the Bayan already started. And I saw him when he entered the Masjid. So I was looking at him. And I love him for this. And he was torn. He didn't know what to do because I, part of him was thinking the other would be he had to come and sit because the beyond started. But I could tell he's so used to praying to his masjid. And masjid, just to show you, he cannot enter the masjid without making sadza basically. So he didn't know what to do. So he stood there for a bit, he was looking at me, and then he went to the corner. So I could still see him, and he prayed to his masjid. And then I was so happy he did that. The second thing I was happy about, once he prayed, he forgot about me. It wasn't like quick. It was like praying quickly so he could quickly join the band. He took his time. Alhamdulillah. And then I realized that, look, this is the power of the Sunnah Ibadat. And that's the real thing that you should be thinking about doing regularly. Yes, it's a good thing to do all the scar regularly. Right? But this obsession to do Muraqaba regularly without being able to do any single one Sunnah fast regularly. 
whether it's a Monday or a Thursday or 13 or 14 or 15, or whether it's any type of nasal, whether it's a shak or chak or oabin or tajr, the shak of hajjah, shak of sikhara, tahiyatul masjid, tahiyatul wudu, pick something, start with something, and try to taste the sweetness of doing these things regularly. I'll give you one example. So, so let, me, let me teach you this also. If when you enter the masjid, you have not prayed the sunnahs yet for that salah, so if, you, if the sunnahs are the first thing you do when you enter the masjid as opposed to sitting down or talking with people, that is time, maqam, meaning that is equivalent to tahiyatul masjid. So you don't have to pray tahiyatul masjid. The point is that the haq of the masjid, the adab of the masjid, is that it's a place of sadda. Masjid, you understand this is an Arabic thing. This is called the place in which sujood is done. Allah chose to name it after that. So if the very first thing you do when you enter the masjid is pray any type of salah which involves sajda, that equals to the masjid. Right? But there should be a feeling in you. And the only exception to this is al-haram al-makki. And the greeting of that place is not to make sadza, it's to make tawaf. Ajib, this is a, one of the great things of the Hanafi Fukahal, so they understood this. So they don't believe in Tahiyatul Masjid in Al-Haram Al-Makki, because it's the haq of that place. And unfortunately we can't do that now, but that's how it used to be. Anytime they would enter, they would make one tawaf. That's the first thing you have to do when you enter. You have to make tawaf and then do whatever else you have to do. You know, obviously, people now, when we go, it's so much rush, you can't make tawaf every time you enter. But imagine that. Uh, I mean, what it means is that they would make tawaf before they would pray. They would make tawaf before the five prayers. Right? And any other time they would enter for any other reason. Okay? So this is an example. So try to pick some sunnah extra optional prayers and try to pick some sunnah extra optional fasts and do them regularly. Alright? And that's something I had explained to you before. I was calling it Wajadat al Nafs and Mukhalat al Nafs. But still, I wanted to explain it to you again in a different way. We ask you to seek to make shukr, Ya Rab, make us your grateful ibad, thankful ibad. Ya Rab, every single salah that we ever prayed in our life was only your fuzzle, your karam, your tawfiq. Ya Rab, every fast we ever fasted was only from your fuzzle, your karam that you gifted us with tawfiq. Ya Rab, any nafil prayer, nafil zikr that we did was only because of your hidayah, was from your inayah. Ya Rabbi Kareem, forgive us, Ya Rabb. Let us never have any arrogance in our heart. Let us never attribute these accomplishments to ourselves. Let us never view our efforts of any worth. Ya Rabbi Kareem, make us your humble slaves, your sincere slaves, your loyal slaves, your loving slaves. Ya Rabbi Kareem, most of all, make us your obedient slaves. Take us out from every disobedience. Guide us into every form of obedience. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we simply want to be muti'een. We want to be have ita'at. We want to be your obedient servants and slaves. Ya Rabbi Kareem, take us out from the past sin. Take us out from the present sin. Change our taqdeer in the future and make it free of sin. Ya Rabbi Kareem, 
Take us out from every fitna, Ya Rabb. Grant us every exit of sin. Grant us every protection from sin. Grant us all the guidelines and guidance of how to remove ourselves from sin. We make dua for all of the du'as, all of the ulama, all of the shiuch, all of the talaba, all of the salikin, all of the mu'mineen, all of the muslimin, all of the ummah, Ya Rabb. Ya Rabb, we ask that you send your special rahmah on us, your special makra on us, your special hidayah on us. Protect us from every fitna, rescue us from every fitna, take out all of the effects of fitna. Grant us the effects of your hidayah, grant us the nur from your hidayah, grant us the nur of Qur'an al-Kareem, grant us the nur of the sunnah of Nabi Kareem, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, grant us the nur from every ibadah, make it a protection for us, a hifazah for us, a hidayah for us, a guidance for us. Take us out from our laziness, give us strength to pray the sunnah rakat. Give us strength to fast the sunnah fast. Give us strength to recite Qur'an al-Kareem. Give us the strength to make the sunnah du'as. Give us the focus in our first salah. Kareem, make us zakirin. Make us shakirin. Make us from your salihin, muttaqin, mu'mineen, ya Rabbi Kareem. Ya Rabbi, make du'a for all of the poor of this ummah. Remove their poverty, ya Rabbi. We make du'a for all of the oppressed of this ummah. Remove their oppression, ya Rabbi. Ya Allah, we ask that you raise from us again those who can fight the oppression, who can remove the oppression of the oppressor, who can rescue the oppressor, Ya Rabbi Kareem. Ya Allah, protect us, Ya Rabbi. Guide us, Ya Rabbi. Uplift us, Ya Rabbi. Ya Rabbi, only you can revive the deen. You are the only Mujaddid. You are the only Muzaki. You are the true Muhyid deen. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask that you revive the deen, that you raise up the deen, that you renew the deen, that you spread the deen. Ya Rabbi Kareem, if deen exists on this earth now, it is because of your hidayah, it is because of your karam, it is because of your rahmah, it is because of your fazal. Ya Rabbi Kareem, you are the same one and only, always Allah. Ya Rabbi, you are always al-Hadi. Ya Allah, send your hidayah on this earth. Send your hidayah on the non-Muslimin. Inspire their hearts to accept iman. Inspire their hearts to accept deen. Show them the beauty of Qur'an al-Kareem. Show them the beauty of Nabi Akreem. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Veil from them, Ya Rabb, the faults and flaws of the Ummah. Veil from them, Ya Rabb, the faults and flaws from the Muslims encounter. Unveil for them, Ya Rabb, the beauty of Islam. Unveil for them, Ya Rabb, your own divine beauty. And your Bikreem, we ask that you send your hidayah on all of the mu'mineen who are distant from you, all of us who have forgotten you, all of us who are being untrue to you, then in Bikrim inspire our heart, Ya Rabb, through your love and mercy, Ya Bikrim, you are the true motivator, you are the true inspirer, Ya Bikrim, bring us onto deen, drag us upon deen, keep us upon deen, keep us further on deen, grant us progress in Surah Al-Mustaqeen, Ya Bikrim, let us never become deluded by our effort. Let us never become deluded by our success. Keep us humble in our efforts and humble in our success. Mm-hmm. We ask that you honor all the du'as of all those who are here listening. Take us out from every expectation. Take us out from every entitlement. Take us out from every delusion. Bring us into the nur of ubudiyyah, the nur of ibadah, the nur of taqwa, and the nur of sunnah. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem. ربنا تكمل منا إنك أنت السميع العليم وتوب علينا إنك أنت التواب الرحيم وصلى الله تعالى على حبيبه سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين برحمتك يا أرحم الراحمين